When you try your best, but you don't succeed, you get what you want, but what you need, what you need, when you feel so tired that you can't sleep, stuck in reverse. You know, regardless of age, gender, race, nationality, political leanings, regardless of what you do or don't believe about God or Jesus, or the Bible, sometimes, sometimes life just sucks, doesn't it? Add to that, that the majority of you, you believe in God. The majority of you, you're Jesus followers. So when life sucks for us or someone we love, what do we do? We begin to pray or we begin to pray more. Uh, and for sure, there are times when whatever we're praying for, it resolves. Uh, in fact, uh, something I've observed is often we kind of forget that we prayed about something and then the pain goes by or with something resolves. And then we just kind of forget that God actually showed up and that he responded to that prayer. But for many of us, many of us, we, we pray and we pray and we pray. And we have seasons of life where it just feels like we're asking God for something and we're asking him for something good. We're asking him for something important. In fact, what we're asking him, it's, it's like not even selfish. We're asking it on behalf of someone else that we love and God just won't do for us what we're asking. When we face circumstances and we find ourselves frustrated and confused, especially if we face painful or seemingly avoidable circumstances, and we feel like, you know what, hey, I, like, I'm living a God-honoring life. Like, seriously, God? I mean, haven't I been doing things your way? Haven't I been faithful to you? Don't I pray? Don't I read my Bible? And I try not to swear, and I try to honor you with my body, and I try not to be rude or get drunk, and, and I, I work to honor you in all these ways. Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen to someone I love? In fact, I, I finally reached a tip, tipping point just a couple of months ago that prompted me to do this message uh, today. Uh, just in, in the past months, and, 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 I, and I love what I do, um, and, and sometimes it, 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 gets, it can get heavy. Because I have, over just the past month, sat over coffee, been in homes, been in hospitals, been in nursing homes, had conversations over food and drink and, and phone and text message with men and women of all ages and life stages that encompass things like miscarriage, another miscarriage, breakup, being fired or laid off from work, an ongoing battle with recurring behaviors, addiction, a first Thanksgiving without a spouse or a loved one. Ongoing health battle, aging challenge, aging parents with declining health, a spouse or a parent in a nursing home essentially waiting to die, living check to check and barely making it, sexual assault, discovering the, discovering the assault of a loved one, a loss of a loved one, struggling with, with depression and anxiety, feeling a complete loss, terrified concerning the future, premature babies with complications, feeling overwhelmed by the demands of work to the point they can't sleep, social anxiety, injury, marriage struggles, a spouse walking away from their family, struggles with an ex, deployment and separation, custody battles, a prodigal son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, and it just goes on and on. In fact, in the past week, a Facebook friend of mine who, who isn't a Christian actually posted this on Facebook just this past Thursday, officially the strangest Thanksgiving ever, can I get a do-over? 
I just wish I felt understood and I wish I knew how to keep my boundaries and how to stand up for myself and when not to keep the peace. And I wish I took care of myself better. And I wish I could have slept more than four hours before an important day that I'd like to give my full attention to. I wish alcohol wasn't necessary for people to speak their feelings. I wish addictions weren't a thing. I wish I had time for everything. I wish I could financially afford a break. I wish I could afford to belong. I wish I could quiet the air, but I hear everything. I feel the vibrations, the anger, the frustrations, the love, the desires, the hate, the tension, the music, the alarms, the expectations, and the letdowns, all clear as day. And the first comment was, so many wishes shared by so many of us as well. I hope you have a better day today. Recently, I, my wife spoke with a friend facing such pain that though they 100% believe in God, they 100% believe in Jesus, they can't even bring themselves to pray in this season because they're just so angry with God. And unfortunately, one thing that can make it harder is that, that, that people can make it sound like it should just be so easy. I know Christians who have expressed to other Christians fear and frustration and pain that they're feeling, and other Christians will just make assumptions and say, well, you just need more faith. Or you need to pray harder. Or you need to get rid of some secret sin in your life. In other words, if you're unhappy, if your life sucks, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. You're not praying hard enough. Or you've got some secret sin. And to make it worse, it feels like everyone else around them, it's like they're getting their prayers answered. It's like apparently it's because they have enough faith. Or they're being obedient, unlike me. Life just seems to be working out around for the people around us. It just seems so easy for them. It's like, uh, you know, they're doing great in their classes. They have a great job. Uh, they have health insurance. They've got an awesome boyfriend or girlfriend. Or their marriage seems to be so blessed. blessed. Uh, their kids are well-behaved and they're healthy and, like, mentally healthy. They just seem to be able to do whatever they want. They have wrinkle-free relationships, finances and jobs and pregnancies. And in the age of social media, this just fuels this perception and depression like no other time in history. And you look at these people for whom life just seems to go well for them, and many of, uh, of you think, like, I, I don't get it. Like, for some of them, they're not even good people. You know, for some of them, it's, it's like, I'm a better person than they are. It's like they don't even go to church. They're not even Christian. Uh, and, and, you know, they sleep in or they go to the lake on Sundays. And, and look how smooth and wrinkle-free their lives are. And here I am trying to do the right thing the right way. And it, life is not going so well for me. And it's just so frustrating. And then you have some Christian friends, and, and they make it worse because they say silly things like, hey, you know this past week, uh, I went to Bradley Fair on Black Friday, and I was in such a hurry, and so I said, Lord, you know I'm in a hurry, I need a good parking spot, and boom, right there in front of the store, parking spot open, I pulled in, I ran in, I got what I needed, and I left, you know, God just answered my prayer, and you just want to slap them. It's like, I can't even afford to go to the dollar store, let alone anything in Bradley Fair. And I'm asking God for something like a job or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or wife or to get pregnant and carry to term or to heal my marriage or to bring my son or bring my daughter back. I'm battling the pain of losing a baby or a loved one. I, I'm fighting or someone I love so much, they're fighting depression or anxiety. And God answered your prayer for a parking spot. I hate you. 
You get to the point where you don't even want to be around people. Especially ones where it just seems like God answers their little petty prayers and you've got like this major thing going on and you, you've been asking and asking and begging and begging and there seems to be absolutely no progress. But you don't want to give up in abandoning God. You don't want to abandon your faith. So the question is, what do you do when God seems indifferent? Because after a while, your faith can begin to wear thin, and we can begin to think that if God is silent, then God must be absent. If God isn't answering my prayer, God isn't engaging my circumstances, then maybe he's off doing bigger and better things. Uh, maybe he's not aware, uh, 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 in not, he's not engaging my circumstances because he's off doing these big things. Or worse, he just doesn't care. And over time, this can begin to erode our faith and our confidence and our hope can be shaken. In the New Testament, Matthew and Luke tell us about someone who face exactly what we're talking about this morning. I talked about this individual actually a little over a year ago. I felt like it was time to revisit him today because this was a guy, this was a guy who God specifically called to do an extraordinary thing. He was faithful as faithful as anyone could ever be. And yet in the moment that he had a very simple prayer request, God said no. Jesus said this was the greatest human to have ever ever lived. And God seemingly ignores him. Now, before I jump in, just hear me say this. I know there is no simple answer to whatever it is that you may have walked in here with this morning or you may be listening. Maybe right now at some point in your life you will face or are facing a challenge for which there is no satisfactory answer. No 30-minute sermon and then your life is going to be all better, but there is something crucial that every one of us can walk out of here with today and gain today that can give you a crucial different set of lenses to be able to, to see your struggle and your pain from a different perspective that can make all the difference as you face whatever it is that you're facing now or you will face in the future. So I hope you won't shut down and you'll just give me a chance to prove it. So the story begins with a man named King Herod, Herod the Great. Uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't Jewish, yet he was the king of Israel because the Romans needed somebody to uh, run Israel. So they chose Herod, who happened to be a horrible, horrible human being. Uh, he had a bunch of wives, decided he didn't want to, so he murdered them. He murdered three of his sons. Uh, you may not like your mother-in-law. He had six and murdered at least one of them. Uh, so uh, this was the same King Herod that sent soldiers into Bethlehem because he heard that there uh, may have been a king born there that would conflict with his own personal agenda. So he sent soldiers in to kill all of the infants and toddlers in that town and the surrounding area. This was in perfect keeping with his character. Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome, said about Herod that it is better to be Herod's pig than his, one of his sons. So that's how evil he was. Uh, he was so evil that when he was about to die, he had, uh, had the soldiers go round up all the leading citizens of Galilee and said, on the day that I die, I want you to execute all of them because I want there to be mourning in, in Israel because he knew it was going to be a street party when he died. He did, in fact, die. They released the prisoners, and there was, in fact, a street party. 
Then Rome decided he had too much power, so then the transition, they split up the kingdom among his sons, and then there were two sons that become part of the story. They were up in the north, uh, in Galilee, in the northwest, which is where Jesus spent the majority of his time. That was given to Herod Antipas, and then to the northeast, uh, Herod Philip uh, took over that region. So you've got two guys that are brothers. And they're important to the story. And then there's another character in the story. Her name was Herodias. Uh, Herodias married Herod Philip. We're talking about some of the southern states now, right now. So uh, Herodias married, you know, go to a family reunion to pick up dates. So Herod married Herod, uh, Herodias married Herod Philip. And then they had a daughter, Salome. Well, Antipas went to visit his brother Philip. And while he was there, uh, he spent some time with his brother, brother's wife, Herodias. And he professed his love for her. And Herodias said, well, baby, I love you too. And so they ran off together. She ends up divorcing her husband, this guy's brother. They get married, moved to Galilee. Now she's the queen of Galilee. And this was a huge, huge scandal. Uh, they make Galilee their home. They're living in this beautiful city that his father built. Uh, and everything was going great until the entrance of a new character, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, and this is important to the story. So God sent John the Baptist into Galilee to preach a very simple message, and the message was, knock it off. Whatever you're doing wrong, knock it off. Just stop doing wrong. So he was a prophet. He preached repentance, which just literally means to change your mind. So he's preaching, you need to change your mind about how you view your neighbor, how you're treating your neighbor, how you view God. You need to change your mind. He wore animal skins. He ate locust, yuck. He lived in the wilderness and the desert. And, and, and this is important. God had raised him up to prepare his people for the one that was to come. And, and, and John was a hero among the common people. One of the reasons they loved him is he wasn't afraid to say anything he wanted to say. Whatever was on his mind, he began baptizing people in the Jordan River as a sign of their repentance, them going public, like I'm changing my mind about life and how I live my life and about God. The problem was, was, was when Herodias moved into the palace with Herod Antipas and uh, married him, this was against Jewish law. Even though none of his heritage was Jewish, he'd been appointed king over Israel, and this was offensive to the Jewish people. And so John the Baptist began to preach out loud in public, no filter, saying that, that especially against Herodias, saying this is wrong. Uh, she has married her husband's brother. Uh, she's an adulteress. She's sinned against God. This is not okay. And Herodias hates John the Baptist. She goes to her husband and says, hey, get this guy off the streets. And Herod, afraid of an insurrection being stirred up by John uh, among the Jews, has him arrested. So that's the background. And with that background, here's what Matthew and Mark tell us. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, he's not referring to the Roman or the Greek law. He's referring to the Jewish law. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John, and she didn't just want John in prison. She wanted John dead. And part of it was just surely out of conscience because leaving her husband, leaving her husband for his brother was scandalous even in that day and age, even for the Romans. But she was not able to kill him because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. 
When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. So apparently, Herod would, Antipas would get bored once in a while. So for entertainment, he'd go, hey, somebody go get John. He'd come in and write, John, preach to me. And so then John would preach these wild-eyed, crazy messages about the Messiah and what God's doing. And by the way, you're sleeping with your brother's wife, and she's an adulteress, and, and, and he would like to listen to John. And he knew there was something special about this guy. So John the Baptist had been sent by God to proclaim the coming of Jesus, and he did that. John was baptizing one day. Jesus walks up and points and said, he's the one. He's the one. That is the Lamb of God. This is the one that comes to take away the sins of the world. So John actually announced the arrival of Jesus, which God appointed him and called him to do. John says to his followers one day, said, hey, you need to go follow that guy. He baptizes Jesus one day. Uh, He's there. He hears the voice from heaven. He sees the dove come down. In other words, John had been perfectly faithful and had done everything God had asked him to do as perfectly as he knew how to do it. And now he's in prison for doing the right thing. So if there was ever a time for an answered prayer, if there was ever a time for a miracle, it would be now. And yet he rotted in this first century prison day after day after day. Now, John had some friends that would visit him in prison. They would give him information. Uh, So John knew that Jesus was out there. Jesus is out there doing miracles. He's healing lepers. He's healing uh, people with uh, demons. He's touching people that other people would not normally touch. He was talking with women, which like in that culture, just you don't do that in public. Uh, Nobody ever did that. He was healing Roman servants. In other words, Jesus was doing all kinds of things for strangers, but he was doing nothing for his cousin. Here's somebody that's been entirely faithful to God in everything that God had called them to do. And to make matters worse, Jesus is out there eating and drinking with sinners. And so in many ways, he was very different from John. And John began to have second thoughts about Jesus. So one day when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to him and And this is us. This is our question. Are you the one? Are you the one that is to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the one that we should look to, or do I need to look for somebody else? John, you're the one who told us he's the one. I I know, but I'm having second thoughts. John, you're... You're, you're the one, you're like, like you've heard the stories of what he's doing out there, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I just need some reassurance. See, this is where we live. This is where we live. It's like, I know in my mind God's there. I know in my mind God's faithful. I know in my mind that he answers prayers, but I'm starting to wonder. I, I just need something. I just need a word. I just need to know. And none of us are immune to this. None of us are immune to this. I mean, maybe things go good for a while, but then you face something and now now you're struggling. And you pray and you pray and you pray, but the circumstances are not changing. And we can have times where we're like John the Baptist. It's like, Jesus, I just need a little help. I, I just need a little word, a little reassurance, a little shout out from God. I need to know that everything that I believe isn't a lie because right now it's not working 
for me? Are you the one? Really? Or should I look for another? Look for a different way. Because right now, following you is not changing anything. And our faith is tested. Yet there's actually what we don't realize, something very self-centered about losing our faith in God when our circumstances go bad. What I mean is this. Have you ever noticed that you read or you hear about something as big as a tsunami or an earthquake and it just takes the lives of hundreds of men and women and children and and, and it just wrecks and ruins the lives of thousands of people and your response is, wow, I'm so sorry for those people. And we pray for those people. Maybe we even give money to help those people, but it does not shatter our faith in God. In other words, When you go through a hard time, I pray. When I go through a hard time, I doubt. Is God aware? Is he present? Does he care? Let me put it this way. I lose faith when God is inattentive to my happiness, not yours. When you go through a difficult time, I'm sorry for you. I'll pray for you. I'll do anything that I can for you. I'll be there for you. But I don't go home and lose my faith over it. Why is it in a season of spiritual dryness and in the seeming inactivity of God when it's, when it's our lives that our faith begins to erode? And a big part of the answer is because in a season of difficulty or pain or turmoil, in a season where life is really, really difficult, we tend to shrink down to the size of us. Whatever it is, whatever it is we're struggling with, it begins to dominate our thoughts. We can begin to lose sleep over it. It just can sap our energy. We can't be productive in our relationships, maybe even at work. And when we face a crisis of great difficulty and pain, nothing else in life really matters, does it? Our lives and our worldview shrinks down to the size of me. And God's strength also shrinks down to the size of me. It shrinks down to the size of you. And this is something we can all experience because there is an amount of mental and physical pain that makes you unable to care about anybody or anything else. To care about anybody but yourself, it's just the nature of pain. It shrinks us down to the size of us. And even John the Baptist was not above this. With all that he's seen and all that he knows, suddenly his world is no bigger than his prison cell. And he begins to doubt. And that's what makes Jesus' response so incredibly relevant to us all. Because Jesus doesn't say, of course I'm the one. Just go back. Tell him to have more faith. I'm the one. Jesus doesn't do that. Neither does Jesus go, you know, you're right. And I'm breaking him out tonight. You know, he's prayed to be rescued. It's the least I can do. I'm going to go rescue him. Jesus doesn't do that either. Instead, here's the message Jesus sends back to his cousin, John the Baptist. And this is for you and it's for me. That when God seems inattentive to our situation and life is just crushing us, or God doesn't prevent a circumstance from happening, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Why, Jesus? Because Jesus, or because John, John can't hear past his prison and he can't see past his bars. 
Because John's pain has shrunk him down to the size of a small room. So you have to go and tell him what you hear and see. You need to go back and report the activity of God outside of his prison cell. So tell him this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You go tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. That God is at work. That he is at work. The implication, I am the one. You don't need to look for anyone else. And as they're turning to leave, Jesus says one more thing. One more thing and make sure you tell him this. This is the most important part. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is important. You tell him Blesses anyone who does not stumble or stumble away or fall down or fall away because of me. So you're saying, Jesus, you might actually do things or cause things or allow things that, that would cause us to stumble away from you? Yes. So you be sure, you be sure to tell him, blesses anyone who does not stumble away from me because of me. Because of something I've done or something I haven't done. So you, you know he's in prison. You know he's losing faith and deteriorating. You know that. You know he might die there. Yes. And I know it's happening because I've left him there. Okay, Jesus, why? Why would you do that? Do you not like John? No, no. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, which would be everybody... There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I think he's the greatest guy that ever lived. But, but you're going to leave him in, in, in prison? Yes. And you tell him, hang in there. Don't lose your faith just because I've chosen not to bail you out of your situation. There's nothing satisfying about that, is there? For some of you, this is why you came this morning. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how much faith he had. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how obedient he was. John the Baptist was going to be in prison because being in prison was part of what God was doing. And Jesus knew it was going to be hard for him to maintain faith in him, his cousin, because Jesus, his cousin, had the power to get him out, and he chose, for whatever reason, not to. Now, let me tell you why this is great news for you and for me. It's that when we are in a spirit, uh, season of, of spiritual dryness or uncertainty, and it seems like days and weeks and months and maybe even years are passing by. And God is just a loud struggle and a loud pain. And our world gets reduced to the prison cell of our pain. And things seem to be getting worse. We can begin to draw the conclusion, well, my circumstances must reflect the way that God feels about me. Jesus would say, no. Not true. Proof. Proof of how God feels about you is what is going to happen and what does happen on the cross. 
Not what's happening at home. Not what's happening at school. Not what's happening with your job or your lack of job or work. Uh, what's uh, happening or not happening in your love life or with your kids or your ability to have kids. Don't make the mistake of hanging, hanging your faith on what God has done for you lately. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who was prophesied by the Old Testament that he would show up. Jesus leaves him sitting in prison and says, by the way, John, you're blessed if you don't stumble away from me because of me. So what do you do when life sucks? God seems to be inattentive, indifferent, unaware, unavailable. Now, to be honest, if you're not a God follower, if you're not a Jesus follower, I don't really have a good answer for that. Some years ago, uh, someone uh, I know died in their 20s, and, and this individual and their family made it, they were quite adamant. We are agnostics, we are atheists, and they wanted to keep it that way. And at the memorial service, in, in, in front of everybody, uh, they, they, they said things, for example, like, uh, you know, the next time you hear the wind rustling in the leaves, uh, that's her spirit letting you know that she's okay. And they said stuff like that. And, and, and that is one way to deal with the pain and the struggle and loss. And, and I suppose if we are, in fact, nothing more than an accident and the inevitable result of time, space, and matter, then we, by nature, we'll just try to, we're going to make things up, whatever we can do to try and negotiate and deal with the pain of loss and to comfort ourselves. But for those of us who are God followers, that are, are Jesus followers, Jesus would give us the same advice that he gave John in prison, and it's this. He would tell us to look back and remember and look outside your circumstances and reflect. You look back and you remember the times when God did come through for you because what's happening now does not take away the reality of prayers answered in the past. That difficult patch in your singleness or your relationship or your marriage where God did come through or you prayed for a child and God did come through or you were in desperate need of a job or you were in a financial uh, need of financial help and God showed up. Yeah, you had a difficult time and maybe God revealed himself in such a powerful way that it just literally transformed your life. You look outside at the, the current prison of pain and you remember you take courage from the fact that God was real then and God's real now. He's, not, he's just not expressing his reality the way that you want him to now. And then, directly from Jesus' advice, advice, you pause and take a moment to look outside at the activity of God. Some of you, one of the best things you could do is to join us on the serving team here on the weekend or serve with us in Project Laundry in two weeks and interact with these people that will wait for two hours for three clean loads of laundry and a free meal and start getting to hear their stories. Some of you need to drop everything, go get a passport and go on a short-term missions trip which I can help arrange, by the way. Years ago, my faith and my perspective were seismically shifted after taking my family, uh, to, it's been 10 days in Haiti with the sister church, 
Several of these days involved just eating and spending time with the pastor and his family, uh, and then arriving in this remote village in which we were greeted by a parade of hundreds of Haitian men and women and children and musicians and singers just filled with joy, celebrating our arrival to the town. Uh, then we spent days with these people, men, women, and children that had so little, they had no fresh water, no electricity, corrugated steel uh, roof shanties, and yet the laughter and the joy and the passion for God that they possessed for, for, possessed for God and for life just so freely expressed in their generosity when they had so little, it just humbled me. Some of you, that would be helpful. See, it wasn't John the Baptist's fault that he was in prison. In fact, he was in prison for doing the right thing. But even then, Jesus said, you've got to tell John, look outside, catch a glimpse of the activity of God outside of your little world. And if John will do this, his faith will be maintained and he will be assured, yes, I am the one sent by God. And that he will be assured that God is still on his throne, carrying out a plan that's bigger than me. Most of us know the story doesn't end well for John. There's a big drunken party. A teenage girl dances with the help of her mother, Herodias, leverages the king's foolishness and pride to have John beheaded in the dungeon and his head brought on a platter. It's not too long after that that some insecure religious leaders would pay to have Jesus betrayed and arrested and tried and mocked and crucified. And God does nothing to stop it. And in what may be one of the most significant moments in the life of Jesus in which he most powerfully connects with our human experience, he cries out something all of us who believe in God have either felt or at one point will feel. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A moment where you feel such an overwhelming sense of pain and fear and grief and abandonment by God. Jesus, who followed his will perfectly, is crucified. God does nothing to stop it. Yet God did not move one millimeter off of his throne. Because even though it would seem that he was unaware or just uninvolved, God was right where God wanted and needed to be. And the events unfolded just the way God wanted them to unfold. And no, it wasn't a script that John the Baptist would write. It wasn't a script that Jesus would write. In fact, at the end of Jesus' life, he actually asked his father, is there any other way? Is there any other way other than suffering and being put to death for the sins of mankind? And when the heavenly father said, no, this is my plan. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it and we're still celebrating it because while this may have been the end for their time on earth, this was not their end. And Jesus' resurrection, by that he proved that there is more to this life than this life. And on the other side of death was something amazing for both John and Jesus. In fact, then John the apostle would later write that the day will come where God himself will wipe away every tear from every eye, for there will be no more suffering and no more pain. And 2,000 years later, people's lives continue to be transformed by what seemed to be the inactivity and the inattentiveness and the absence of the very God that these two cousins followed and died for. And God reaches beyond the first century, speaks directly to you and me, and says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble, fall away, lose faith, give hope on account of me. 
And someone this morning or listening online, you need to hear this. God is paying attention. God knows your name. He knows your circumstances. God says, I see your frustration. God says, I see your hopelessness. I see that you're on the verge of giving up or walking away. Don't. Don't give up. Don't give up on me. No matter how long it takes, it, 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 if circumstances never change, there's, there's something bigger than you know. And while this will not solve your problems, it won't solve everything today or tomorrow. What it can do is transform your perspective. And in knowing that you are not alone, it will help you discover or rediscover his concern for you, his will for you, his plan for you, his trustworthiness, and his ability to take what seems like avoidable struggle and pain and blend it into something far greater than anything you ever imagined or expected. Because he may be silent, but he is not absent. He is not inattentive. He is not unconcerned. And God is never late. A few months ago, I was working out at the Andover Y by myself, and I had my earbuds in, my own little world. I looked over, I saw this huge, like huge muscles guy, uh, and he was pinned down on the bench by about 365 pounds. Uh, and he's looking over at me with help in his eyes, and so uh, he had tried for one rep too many, so I quickly tapped another guy in the shoulder, and we ran over to him, and this other guy and I, we each grabbed either end of the barbell and got the 365 pounds off of him, and uh, he was really embarrassed, but also really grateful. And of course, you know, we're dudes, like we got it, and I tell you, it's going to be okay, and downplay the embarrassment. And, but something really cool happened, and that is that ever since then, uh, if I'm not working out with my friend Justin in the morning, and I, I'll go later in the day, and this guy and I have started to get to know each other. And now we actually help each other. We'll actually ask one another to come and, and help spot. We've been, and it's just been great. And it all began because he got pinned down by a load he couldn't handle. That he couldn't handle on his own. And I happened to be in proximity to help, even though we didn't know each other. Because, but because in that moment, uh, because of that moment, we now have permission. We now have permission to help each other handle the load. We spot each other so that we can push farther, push faster, handle more than we could on our own because we're able to help each other if the load gets too heavy. This dynamic applies to life. One of our core values as a community is authentic community. We are not designed to do life alone. I've said before, like physical exercise, being consistent in weekly community like this, it's not just about going to church. The value is being consistent and getting yourself in an environment where it puts you in proximity with other people who are trying to go the same forward direction you're trying to go in your spiritual journey, in your relational journey, as you face life. This dynamic applies to life. And it gets even better uh, it, when the church, and the church is at its best, when we finally acknowledge we cannot do it, we need not do it, and we shouldn't do it alone. We look to the left or the right when we're in, in that environment, and, and it gives us the opportunity to allow and invite others in to do what Paul, the Apostle Paul says in one of his letters, to help each other carry one another's burdens. Because in doing so, we fulfill the law of Jesus, which is to love one another as he loved us, laying his life down for us. 
So we're going to take a small step in that direction this morning. I've got uh, several people uh, I've invited to come and lead in some prayer, and I'm going to invite the band to, to come on up as well. I just want to pray for you. Father, I, I just thank you that we have what we have of knowing about John, about Jesus, about his followers, and Father, that we have this opportunity to know from the lives of those that came before us that laid their lives down so that we could have and know what we have and know, Father, that you would, that God, even though it doesn't fix whatever we're walking out of here with today or logging off with, whatever it is, God, that uh, that we could see things through a different set of lenses. I pray, Father, for those that uh, that that really struggle to just invite people in to help carry the load, that God, that you would help them break free from that to invite other people in to carry those burdens with them. And God, I, I pray for everyone that's just listening to the sound of my voice right now as together we face burdens, we face challenges, we face all of the things we talked about this morning. That God, that you would show up in truly tangible ways in our lives and in those circumstances that's unmistakably you. That it's not just our power or just something natural, but God, that it just becomes clear that there's more involved. And I pray, Father, for those that are struggling with their faith these days, they're struggling to trust you, that God, that you would give them a whisper, you would give them a shout out, and that you would help them to know that you were with them, you were for them, and that you are walking with them. And give them the courage and strength that's need, that is needed to just continue to, to hold on and to see what you have in store. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.